Tonight is the last night of the last Bible study we have out of this chapter on prayer. And in praying, I've been getting, I don't know if it's not being confused, but sometimes in studying or whatever and going through the Bible, you'd be wondering who should we pray for or who not to pray for. That's sometimes confusing to you or whatever sometimes. And then there's different Bible scholars and different people on both sides of the road. And I'll read out of the living version. I printed both versions, the living and the amplified version of it in case you don't have. uh, And I'll read the living and you can read the amplified later. Listen now, the Lord isn't too weak to save you and he isn't getting deaf. He can hear you when you call. But the trouble is that your sins have cut you off from God. Because of sin, he has turned his face away from you and will not listen anymore. For your hands are those of murderers and your fingers are filthy with sin. You lie and grumble and oppose the good. No one cares about being fair and true. Your lawsuits are based on lies and you spend your time plotting evil deeds and doing them. You spend your time and energy in spinning evil plans that end up in deadly actions. You cheat and shortchange everyone. Everything you do is filled with sin. Violence is your trademark. Your feet run to do evil and rush to murder. Your thoughts are only sinning and wherever you go to, you leave behind a trail of misery and death. Well, you get the point there. That he's telling the people that he heard their prayer. And people say, well, God hears the prayer of a sinner. Yeah, it's different from hearing and listening. God wasn't listening anymore. When we say listening or hearing, in other words, by the point of doing anything about it. That he's not listening to the point that he's going to help them or whatever. That has occurred on several different occasions in the Old Testament and some of it kind of carries in into the New Testament you have people on this side of the fence and that side of the fence on this issue and we want to we know what God's purpose is and God's purpose is the purpose ever since the beginning of the world in Genesis he's never stopped his purpose he is shaping us for future offices in his kingdom. In other words, to be a royal priesthood. That's what the church is training for. I didn't say everybody. I said that's what the church is. It's a select group of individuals called out and chosen by God. Now, uh, he learns a and he learns a great deal about us as we become as we come before him in prayer. Now. Not that God doesn't know about us because he created us and made us and he knows everything, God knows everything. But in other words, then we know. We know about one another or whatever. And he had set prayer as the way to acquisition him for things that we need, or actions to be taken, or ways to converse and talk with him like Adam talked with God in the cool of the evening or whatever. A marriage, a relationship, or the knowledge of people it breaks down if there's a lack of communication. If husband and wife stop talking, or brothers and sisters stop talking, or relatives, or anyone, once the line of communications are broken, there's very little chance of knowing about the others or knowing the needs of others or whatever. And he truly does listen to what we bring before him. So he was hearing what they were saying unto him and what they were talking about. But he always considers our heart and our reasoning in response to us. In other words, the attitudes, as I told you before, Cain's attitude when he came to God and offering in prayer. And God looks at our attitude and dispositions when we pray to him. What we're praying about, these people that were praying to him, he was fed up with them. And they were coming, praying and fasting and saying God wasn't listening. In other words, these was God's people just like today. Many of people in the church are God's people. And they're following the the ritual or the religion or the forms of religion. They may be fasting and praying. 
But it's it's the motives. It's the attitude. It's the dispositions as to why you're doing and what you're doing. Prayer is key to all of that. And in prayer, um, Colossians 2, Colossians 4, 2-4 says, Be persistent and devoted to prayer, being alert and focused in your prayer life with an attitude of thanksgiving. And people are not very thankful today. People, after they get what they want, or God supplies their need or whatever, and they tend to be ungrateful, you know. Many a person prayed to God for a spouse or a job or home or whatever blessings from God. After God grants that blessing, many a months or years later, it's just like an old house or old car. Or the wife is old or the husband is old or the, the whatever they prayed for, I got that old thing or this and that there, they're ungrateful instead of being content with such that they have. They become unthankful. That's the attitude, one that prevents God from hearing us. And that's what has happened. And Paul continues to say, At the same time, pray for us, too, that God will open the door of opportunity to us for the word, to proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned, that I may make a clear and unspeak and speak boldly and, and unfold the mystery in the way I should. In other words, you should be praying for your leaders. Politically, religiously, parents, whoever's in authority, you should pray for them. And I always ask your prayer. And uh, we, even when we had, we had kind of got, Brother Dent had left the church where we was talking one time or whatever, he said, well, you know, I still I always pray for you or whatever. I always pray for you. And it's good to have someone praying for you. The church loses a lot if we're not inconsistent prayer for an individual. And when Jesus said pray for your enemies and pray for those that despitefully use you, it's pretty hard to be in, to be hateful or uh, uh, feel in a bad way towards somebody if you're praying for that person. If you could muster up to pray for that person, it may solve some animosity, some bitterness or whatever. And that's necessary in the realm of forgiveness where prayer lies but we will examine that a little bit further if I can get there it says conduct yourself with wisdom in your interactions with outsiders that is with non-believers make the most of each opportunity treating it as something special let your speech at all times be gracious and pleasant seasoned with salt so that you will know how to answer each one who asks you so don't grow weary in prayer, but continually praying and have your prayers in the right way and toward the people that are without, without the church, that you still have a, a good rapport, uh, a, a good, in other words, try to follow peace as much as possible with all men. Uh, do we deeply consider what we say to God? Prayer. Prayer is something, if you think about the president, uh, uh, if the mayor or someone of, of high of high authority or high regard, or if the just like when the pope comes somewhere, if your pastor or somebody that should res- receive respect, wouldn't you think about what are you going to say to that individual? That's the same as with God. Here, here he is, the God of the universe, the God of the world, the most holy figure that could be. What we say to God, we have to think about, well, let me not say this, or let me, you want to watch the words you say and not just bring a meander in his presence and just say vague things. Uh, you guard your mouth and the things that you say or ask. So do we take time to organize and improve how we present our request to him? And that's what I was thinking about with prayer and I've been through the years and things, listening to different churches, seeing different people praying and everything, and certain churches have it to where this Sunday this person pray, or this day this person pray to open up Bible study, or they pray to open up a food, you know, an eating event or whatever you, sometime they tell you ahead so that you can pray, pray and go up and be specific in your prayer or whatever. I think I want to work Brother Jackson into the circle of praying 
maybe once a month at worship service on Saturdays. We must all talk to God and get into a situation where we can talk to God privately and publicly. And that when we get ready to pray, if I, I say, well, we go, you go pray for the worship service. Well, I would want him to come in or you or whoever is opening up the worship service or whatever you're coming to, to pray about worship, the things that we would gain from worship or, or the things of worship. Uh, if it's a, a dinner and we're having a dinner and someone wants to pray at the dinner or whatever, I think it would be things sitting around the eating and the festive activities that we're about to partake in. If it's Bible study, we would direct things toward the Bible study and studying God's Word and accurately dividing it and learning from it. But it wouldn't be prayers about the sick and the shut-in and uh, prayers about what's happening with someone. In other words, we don't want to organize. So what we have to do is think about God and what we're praying about and the sincerity of our prayers and offering up the prayers. Do we think about the attitude in which we come before the, this great God of the universe? Are we upset and mad or distraught in someone? Or I try to stay not talking or something before I get to church because a lot of time husband and wife come to church and they fighting coming in the church doors, arguing or whatever. Have you ever had an argument with someone coming in the church doors? Well, that's not an attitude to think, start things off with. On prayer service night or prayer night, are you coming to pray and to think about the prayer list, what you have on your prayer list to pray about, the things that you want to pray about, and what you're coming before God about, and the attitude and the dispositions? Are you just pray when you're angry, upset, this person just cuts you off, and you come before God? I just wish he was dead, or this and that happened to him, or whatever, as some of David's prayers of imprecations, whereas David was under a lot of pressure and different things or whatever. I'm not saying that now not there are not times for prayers of imprecations or whatever. But as I was starting off the lesson, I say sometimes prayer can be confusion about what to pray for and who to pray for. Do you pray for the death and the life of your enemy? Because remember when God asked Solomon that asked him a, a petition and he would grant it. One of the reasons he blessed Solomon with what Solomon asked for is he said, you didn't ask for the death of your enemy. You didn't ask for the life of this individual or whatever, but he asked to know how to lead God's people coming in and going out. So uh, the prayers of imprecations, like I said, it's been talked about at, at a many a different level and at a many a different times. And That's just because it's in the Bible, should you pray that prayer? Or why was that in the Bible? What circumstances? Was it for then? Is it for now? Is it for any circumstance or situation? Or was it a way for the help blow off steam? In other words, God knows the body. He knows we're human. We're flush. So if we have something odd against somebody, we can't fool God. So don't come in and pray that this person be blessed. If you're praying for your enemies, do you come in and ask God to bless him and do all of these other things for him and prosper him or whatever? That wouldn't be a sincere prayer. That's a pious prayer of something that we think God wants to hear, but that's what's not really on our mind. That's not really what's bothering us. So it's not a fervent prayer. It's not how we actually feel or whatever. You might feel that God should punish him and remove him from the earth. If he's one of these evildoers, say, Lord, you, forget, you told me not to fret thyself because of evildoers, for they shall soon be cut off. It may be better when this person is removed from around me or removed to where he could cause me harm or whatever. So, like I say, it can be kind of confusion. Over the years, various peoples in God's church have used verses and the book of Jeremiah and elsewhere to teach that we are not to pray for the world or the pre people of this world, but like I said, it's open to whose interpretations and 
what the situation and the context was. That's why I tried to start reading you the context of why God says he wasn't listening or why he wasn't hearing their prayer. Because their prayer wasn't with sincerity. Their prayer was like Saul. Every time he would try to capture David and David would get away and he would say, I'm sorry, David, I repent, I repent, I'm I'm changed, I'm not going to do you anything. Well, after a while, you know, David stopped believing that. He says, you know, I'm going to have to escape somewhere because pretty soon Saul's going to fool around here and kill me because he keeps changing his mind. A double-minded man is unstable in his, all his ways, so he can't make up his mind whether he's going to chase David or he's not going to chase David. Sometimes people like to get in domestic situations you're fighting and you're domestic abuse and the next minute you're making up and you love one another, whatever. Sometimes the woman might need to get out of that situation before the man kill her. Oh, the man might need to get out of that situation before the woman kill him. You know, a lot of times it's vice versa nowadays. Several correct foundational beliefs have served to foster this conclusion. So that's pretty strong arguments on both sides. Jeremiah, like praying for the world. Here it is, Jeremiah 11 and 14. It says, Therefore pray not for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time in, in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm bringing disaster and suffering on them which they will not be able to escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the people of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they have burned incense, but they cannot save them in the time of disaster. For as many as the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah, and as many as the number of streets, O Jerusalem, are the altars you have set up to the shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry of prayer for them. For I shall not listen when they cry to me in the time of their disaster. Therefore, Jeremiah, pray no longer for these people, neither weep nor plead for them. For I will not listen to them when they are finally desperate enough to beg for, for help. What right do my beloved people have to come into any more to my temple? For you have been unfaithful and worship other gods and can gods. Can promises and sacrifice now avert your doom and give you life and joy again? So just because you turn and say you repent, just because you pray to me, you've gone too far. It's over with. This is not going to help you. So we see here a case where God was going to destroy his people and don't waste your time, Jeremiah. We know in cases where Moses pleaded for the people, God said, step back, I'm going to destroy all of them. God has his reasons for saying these things or whatever. And sometimes, does it look like God changed? He changed his mind? Or was that what God was going to do anyhow? He just wanted to see what you was going to do. You know, a lot of times people say things to see what your side of the story is. Jesus was walking on the Emmaus Road and the the disciples, he was joined together to the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. And he says, are you ignorant? Are you, you don't know of all of the things that, that happened today in Jerusalem? And he said, what things? He said, what things? Like he didn't know. He was the one crucified. He said they, they was telling him about the one that they thought was the one and everything and that all of their hopes and things was dashed. And here Jesus let them talk. He said, what things? And he wanted to see their perspective of what they were doing. You know, sometimes people do that. They want to see. He says, Peter, you remember he says, uh, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, thou art the son of God, the, the, the son of the living God. But you remember he says, some people say that you're the prophet, uh, Jeremiah, that you're this person, or you're Elijah. You, he says, but who do you say I am? I, I understand what other people are saying, but who do you say I am? In other words, what's your personal take on this? What, you do, what do you believe? Some people feel God's word to Jeremiah a commands for his people from that time forward and never pray for the world or the people of the world. Now, is that the correct interpretation? Because we know that he was talking about that people for that time. 
But does it carry throughout time? When we say the one, we say the all. We know God doesn't change. But like I say, it, it's not as easy as we see sometimes. Daniel is aware of what Jeremiah's prophecy was and that the Jews were to, would return to Jerusalem at the end of 70 years. You read that in Jeremiah uh, 29, 10-14 about their return. So God had sent them into exile. Some had went into exile just as God did. He had destroyed the Jews and sent them into exile. But near the end of the 70-year period, what do we find Daniel doing? He implores God fervently on the behalf of the nation that so fervently that God sends Gabriel uh, to deliver a message to Daniel that he heard him when he first started praying. And Daniel was saying, he cries out, he puts himself in league with the other people. He don't say they have sinned, he say we've sinned as a people. Just like I say, as a nation, we have to say we when we talk about America, when we talk about this nation, because what God does to, to the nation, but there are remnants that survive throughout national calamities. Just like the remnant survived the onslaught of Judah, there were still people left in Judah, and then there were people that went into captivity as God told them to, that made it through captivity but didn't return when Cyrus bid them to return. But Daniel puts himself in that same boat with them and it says, Daniel cries out, we've sinned and committed iniquity. And we know iniquity separates God from his people. He separates, that's what separates us from God is our iniquity. The sin that we have established in our lives and don't depart from. He says, We've, we have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. It's hard to imagine Daniel being the ones that did that as a righteous man as he was. But he did include himself as part of that nation. He said, well, get them. But he says, us, we, inclusive that. But there has to be a confession of sin and there has to be a remittal of sins. Let's talk about remittance. That's one of the things that I started to look at when I was talking about who to pray for and what to pray or whatever. How should our prayer sound? Is it, uh, John 20, 22-23 And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, whose, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. That's Jesus talking to his disciples in the book of John. I read that in the Amplified. It says, And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven because of their faith. If you retain the sins of anyone, they are retained and remain unforgiven because of their unbelief. Now they are forgiven, he says, because of their faith, but they are retained because of their unbelief. Okay. Then he's breathed on them and, and he's told them, Receive you the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you refuse to forgive them, they're not forgiven. Are you understanding what's going on there? In other words, remit means to remove. What does it mean for sins remitted? The definition of remission of sins is the act of absorbing or remitting. Former redemption as pronounced by a priest in the sacrament of penance, synonyms, absolution, remission, remittal, types, there's indulgence, the remission by the Pope of temporal punishment in purgatory that is still, that is still due for sins even after absolution. But now what does it mean biblically, biblically to remit? It is to release from guilt or penalty 
of, re, of remission or to remit. So, whose sin you forgive, they are forgiven. You've forgiven that person and released that person's sin against them. So, but if you don't forgive them, those sins are still holding to them. That weight of unforgiveness is still on them. Whether they believe or not, that weight still lies. But you, you hadn't forgave, forgiven that person. So to be children of God, he says, forgive. If you don't forgive men of their sin, God won't forgive you of your sins. Right? So when you don't forgive people, then that leaves the ball in your court. You still have that sins that God won't forgive you of. And that person is still tied to you because you hadn't forgot about it. But you know how sometimes, uh, as I was talking about teasing in, in high school or different things in school or whatever, well, you say, I didn't forget, I didn't forget about it. I forgive you. And, and that's forgotten. We forgive you about it. Not just forgot, but if you forgive someone for that. It means I'm not holding against you. It's not anything of bitterness. And that's taken away. But there's a lot of people that doesn't, don't forgive their parents, don't forgive what somebody did to them, don't forgive the bullying or, or all of these things that leave all that tied to them. Yes, yes. So do you want to be tied in with all of these things or do you want to be as your Father which is in heaven or do you want to be as Jesus Christ perfect? Yes. Yes. You see what the remittal of sins and forgiving sins does. I'm going somewhere with this now. That's the cancellation of death of the change of sins. In Ezekiel 14 13-23 and I won't read all of it I'll just read uh, 22-23 maybe. It says yet, behold survivors would be left in it escaping the judgments. Both sons and daughters, listen carefully. They are going to come out to you in Babylon and you will see their wicked conduct and despicable actions then you will be at peace in regard to the disaster which I brought against Jerusalem for everything which I've brought on it has been deserved then they will reassure you in regard to the appropriateness of the judgments when you see their heinous conduct and actions for you will know that I have not done without cause whatever I did to it, declares the Lord. So, during Jeremiah's time, and Jeremiah prophesied their destruction, and Jeremiah was prophesying and asking and praying for the people, that's as a priest, that's empathy, and that's what a priest, that's what people of God has, you know. A mother, a father of anyone that has empathy of the Spirit of God. That's why it says, receive the Spirit. You have to have the Spirit of God to really love. It's a lot of people without the Spirit of God. They love may love emotionally and with errors love, but I've seen a lot of these people with this secular love have, have abandoned people in certain situations, but they love when things are going good. They like... Peter, oh, I'll never turn against you or whatever. Yeah, but things ain't mixed the crooks. They hadn't met the crystal ball yet. It hadn't got to that point yet. But during Jeremiah's prophecy, he was praying and God told him not to pray for this people because he was going to destroy them. But in destroying them, he allowed a remnant of the survivors, a remnant of the people did listen to God and go to Babylon. Those are the ones he's talking to in Ezekiel here. He says, um, you'll see why I destroyed them and why I was justified in doing what I did. The ones that came to Babylon became just as worse because they were as the seed of evildoers, just like what Jesus told the Pharisees during their day, that you're the children of the ones who kill the prophets and you fill up the measure of their cup. In other words, these Jews of Judah that went into Babylon, they became the same way. And now you see why I destroyed the parents and the rest of them. 
Now, God always has his remnant, but he's saying, Jeremiah, now Ezekiel, now you see why I did what I told Jeremiah I was going to do. They were so bad. You remember the rotten figs? The figs were so rotten that they couldn't be eaten. They couldn't. Some people are just so rotten that they can't be saved. Right. We read about this in the book of Jude. It says that the old, some older people, men ordained to condemnation, would come into the church. These were the ones ordained unto this condemnation. In other words, rooted in evil that won't change. I don't think we've seen Jesus praying for the Pharisees as he didn't follow Judas to the point of where he says, one of you is a devil. You see, they couldn't change. We can't change goats into sheep. The Pharisees, you didn't see him trying to bid the Pharisees, but they was his adversaries throughout. Okay. Jeremiah 15 and 1. Uh read Jeremiah 15 and 1, but he kind of to paraphrase it, he tells Jeremiah, I know Moses prayed for the nation when I was about to blot them out and say, blot me out, and I withheld my hand, I didn't destroy the nation. I know Samuel promised to continue to pray for his nation, even though God says that what he was going to do, Samuel says, I won't fail to pray for you. Just like I said, I, I, I always pray for my sons and daughters, my wife, for the people in Bible study, for the people in, in the church, and for different uh, various people. And I continue to pray for everyone, no matter what their spiritual condition looks like to me, or how far gone they are, I still pray. Because God had designed it that we pray. But that's why I say sometimes we kind of wonder who to pray for, what to pray. And that's why I told you we have to organize our prayer and have a, a little bit more specifics in prayer. See, but that time was different than it was with Moses. So we have to look at the context of the matter that God had gotten fed up with the people of Jerusalem at that time and he wasn't going to change it. That's why he was telling him not to pray just like Last time, last week, I went into it Sunday about when he told Moses not to ask him about that anymore. I said, you're not going into the promised land and let this be the last time you ask me. I let you see it, but you're not going in. As with Paul, and he says, I prayed about this matter thrice. I asked God about it thrice, and he says, my grace is sufficient. So sometimes God stops us from praying or tells us, not to pray for something, and should we continue on praying or not? Yes. There are sins in the New Testament. He says, I pray uh, that you should not pray for that sin. There is a sin under death, and I don't advise you to pray for that sin if someone is sinned. That sin that's unto death. I think that's the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Uh, but Sometimes God's will is set just like Judas Iscariot. He says, woe be unto that man. So with that woe, his, it was set. What's nothing will bring him back when Jesus said, woe unto that man that he's betrayed by. So Judas sought repentance, but he went out and hung himself still. There's no coming back from that. No amount of praying for them would change my will this time, so don't bother and those things are in Exodus 32, Numbers 16, 41 through 50, 1 Samuel 12, 19 to 23. Jeremiah prays for the nation because of the of some other prophets, some other sometimes, but he didn't have the perspective that we have today as to why or what God was doing, maybe. Yet God is trying to gently tell Jeremiah that he hears his prayers for the nation, but this time it's a firm no. Just as Jesus came to him in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, is that any other way, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless thy will be done. So Jesus knew what the will of God, and he knew that that cup wasn't prepared. He said, if it was any other, 
So those people telling you there are many different ways to salvation and God could, it, we could go in and, and it, Jesus is not the only way. Well, that didn't wait the way, that's not the way Jesus said it. That's not the way he seen it when he was praying. He says, if there any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yes. But it wasn't any other way that God destined to turn him over to men to murder him and hang him on the cross. No matter prayers, and that's why when Peter says that this shall not happen to you, Peter, God says you don't, Jesus says you don't savor those things that be of God. So sometime if you don't definitely know the will of God, you shouldn't, you can pray. But if you know what's the will of God and you do it, that's presumptuous sin saying I can sin and God won't you know, won't do anything about it. I can get off. He's going to change this. Just like I was telling you, David was praying for the baby and God says, no, he was going to take the baby's life. That was set in stone. So we don't know. So God gave us the way of praying and we pray to the father according to his will. That's why we walk according to his will and we keep his commandments so that he hears our prayer, that he doesn't turn away from our prayer. So we offer a prayer in faith, expecting that he's going to hear it and answer it. So if you're not expecting him to hear it and answer it, why should you pray it? That's why a lot of us don't have confidence in prayer. That's why we can't fervently pray something. We don't have enough faith. God hears our prayers, but when he changes what he says he will do, it is because he wills to change it. In other words, God was maybe trying you in that area. That's just like when Jonah went to Nineveh and God says that he was going to destroy Nineveh in 40 days. And Jonah went preaching that. He said, I knew that. I knew you would change on me. And now he's repenting of it. But was God going to destroy Nineveh at that time? Or was it in God's plan to destroy Nineveh later on? But it was in God's plan for Jonah to go and preach there. It was in God's plan to do it this way. And so Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish that he would go forth and do what God willed him to do. God's going to bring forth his will. And God's, Jonah's prayer him being encapsulated in the belly of the fish changed his perspective toward God and what God was doing. He didn't know or understand what God was doing, but he knew he had to line up with the will of God. So he got out and did what God willed him to do. We have no power to make God change his directions, but we should feel free to act according to his will. So if we pray for God to heal someone, well, are you praying out of faith? Or are you just praying because everybody else uh, uh, is praying? But this person has terminal stage four cancer, pancreatic cancer or something. Are you have enough power to go up there and lay hands on them and say, be healed and, and think that they'll go heal them? Or when I was praying for a sister in our church about uh, cancer or whatever, I was praying that God would strengthen her, that God would be with her with what she was going through and that his will be done. Now, God could have miraculously healed her. But was I asking that according to God's will or as some of the 10th preachers, they don't use 10th no more, but they come around to some auditorium or whatever. Some of the revival preachers that say it's going to be healing, and it's going to be all these things done. We don't know whether God's going to heal them or they're going to walk or what's going to happen. We can pray for God's will to be done in their life. And if it's his will to heal them, but that they accept that his course be done. So that's why I say in the specifics of prayer, that's why people say, well, we don't know why, if they could heal or whatever, why don't they just heal the whole hospital? 
I don't think Jesus did whole hospital healings. I think of all the work he was doing, he kind of individually healed the people. He didn't. You didn't see mass spectrums of people healed at one time. He didn't walk in there and say, everybody in this town be healed. I think it's an individual thing, and it's according to the individuals. He healed two blind men. He healed the ten lepers or whatever. But he specified those that he said, I think there were ten that were healed. Where are the other nine? Only one was thankful and came back to be. So he has a record. He knows what he's doing. Uh, We know perhaps our fervent prayer is not what causes God to rescind or change his mind. But we know the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availed much because Elijah prayed for the rain. But wasn't he praying? And I don't know if his life was on the line or what was the problem, the reason he prayed it, why God gave him the faith to ask and to make that statement that by the space of three years that it wouldn't rain. So that was spot on. So it was by the prompting and the leading of the Spirit of God for him to determine three is the number of divinity, for him to determine that three years period. And then when he prayed after that period, it did rain. So like I said, it has to be in faith. It has to be in believing God. That was a sign, and God does work sign. So we have to pray in conjunction with the will of God. We have to line up. And Elijah's one that I assume prayed and fasted a good bit because it's just like with his disciples that they couldn't cast out the demons. They really wasn't prayed up in communications with God enough because Jesus says, this kind goes out only but by prayer and fasting. Prayer is a communication with God, and communication with God through prayer is knowing his will. You remember I said a lot of people pray with the Bible and pray the scriptures and everything because it has to be according to God's will. And so... Now we're learning how to pray or who to pray for or when to pray, but it still has to be by the prompting and the leading of the Spirit. It has to be as the Spirit give utterances. Can God choose to change his mind? And he has changed his mind after fervent prayer. You remember Moses' prayer and the prayer of the Ninevites when they start fasting and praying and God didn't destroy them? It's many other examples, but we can't set that in stone and say that we can just give so effective and, and feel so strong about this that we could prayer changes God. No, God is immutable. Prayer lines us up with the will of God and it brings God's will into action. So by faith, we could pray and ask God. As Jesus says, what you desire, ask the Father in my name, and that he will do. Because why? It's for kingdom benefits. It's for Jesus Christ. It's not to consume it on your own lust. It's not to build your pride up, not to build arrogance, not to build anything. It's for the establishment of the kingdom of God. That's why it says, pray in my name. If I give you authority to do something, you can only do that which I gave you the ability to pray and have power and authority over to do. Just like, didn't he tell Pilate, you couldn't do anything to me unless it was given to you of God. You didn't have any power over me unless God gave you that power and authority. That means, that's just like the devil. He don't have any power and authority over you, but what God gave him. That's what Job proved. He said, I can't touch him. You got a hedge up around him unless you move the hedge. There's nothing I can do. Some feel John 17, a prayer Jesus himself indicates it would be wrong to pray for the world. This is one of the scriptures I say where some people say this about praying for the world. John 17 and 9, he says, Jesus talking to his disciples. And this famous prayer in this time that he was talking about giving his disciples their word, his word. He said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. I'm not praying for the world. What's the specifics of the prayer? 
what was he not praying for the world for? And I don't have time. Like I say, I, I would, I'm not going to have time to finish where I'm at. But he says, I pray not for the world, but it's some specifics in there that we'll not have time to look at. Jesus gives the prayer in John 17 specifically for his disciples and for a specific reason. It was not the time to pray for any other than his disciples. So at that time, you remember I was telling you about if you're going to eat and pray over the food or whatever, if you at Bible study, it's about that specific thing. Mm-hmm. Being more specific in your prayer. Don't shoot scatter shots with your prayers. Be specific and tell me exactly what you want or what you're praying for. Don't be here, there, all over the place. Well, that was specifically what was going on at that time for his disciples. Now, however, this does not mean that Jesus never prayed for anyone but his disciples. But it was in that situation, in that context. Now, if we are supposed to pray only for converted brethren, but not for our unconverted countrymen, how can we follow Jesus' many other examples and commands about this same topic? For example, Matthew 5, 44 to 45 and 48. He say, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. There it goes. Pray for your enemy. Pray for those that despitefully use you. He's telling you here to pray for those, those unbelievers, those people that's doing this. But what does he tell you to pray? And is this a prayer where as you pray, you're forgiving others that have trespassed against you so you won't be carrying around their weight, their sins won't be laid on you? You're forgiving them, and as you forgive others, God forgives you. So you've prayed, and you despitefully used me. You didn't lie to me. You, you cheated me out of my money, fixing on my car. Uh, you didn't took my husband. Uh, you didn't cheated on my son. Or you didn't kill this person. Or you, whatever you do, I forgive you. Yes. Okay, so that way, the sin, it's up to God's. Judgment. Now, just because I forgive you or something doesn't mean God still doesn't punish you for which, because God says, vengeance is mine. Yes, yes. So the Pharisees said, well, who is he to forgive sin? God told Jesus. Jesus was carrying a showing example that we should do. We should forgive sinners. If she caught in adultery, he said, I don't condemn you. We shouldn't go around condemning and doing these things to people. That's God's job. He says, vengeance is mine. God's going to pay every sin and transgression to receive his just recompense or reward. Now, due, due to your evilness, your carnality, you might want to get even and even the score. You might be the one to want to get somebody told. You want to show and you want your vindictiveness, your bitterness against that person. But doesn't that create a flaw or a defect in you and you can't be perfected? You're not doing what he says, so you can't be perfect because now you're carrying around all these people that you hadn't forgiven, that you hadn't remitted their sins back unto you. What you do to me, I remit it back unto you. I forgive you. I forget it. It's off of my board. I'm not, that ain't on my mind no more. Hmm. Now, but there's a God that keeps book. Yeah. He keeps record. You've got to deal with him. He says, praying for people outside the church is part of what defines us as children of our Father in heaven. Now, we not to think of this in the prosperity prayers wing that we're always praying for blessings. We're not always praying for to make them wealthy or whatever. Pray that they see the light. Pray that you come in their life. Sometimes when you pray for people, then God starts bringing things into their lives to try to change them that judgment gets worse for them. Yeah. That's why a lot of people say, oh, no, don't pray for me. I don't want you to pray for me. Because praying is like praying for peak patience for some people. God sent a lot of situations that 
causes you to be under pressure or whatever, and it the developed patience causes a problem. That's why when you start praying and fasting, your whole family, different people, the households and different people will have things against you. If you say that you will give up a certain thing, the crowd that you run with will think it's strange that you don't run with them to what they're doing anymore. Yeah. Man, what you mean you don't watch football no more? What do you mean you don't watch this on TV? What do you mean you don't do this? What do you mean you don't drink anymore? What do you mean you don't go to this place and you don't do that? You're a strange bird to me. But you're not talking about them, but they want to. I remember my boss, man, when I was telling him that I, I didn't want a television, that I was going to do without television, that he even gave me a television say, <laughs> about my children my, to watch TV or whatever. But to this point in time, the television was nice and it's good to raise children with, you know, in a certain realm, but not the television could be a one-eyed monster. But I'm not watching this much television now. And, you know, I sit down during my lunchtime, during the day sometime. I might sit down and watch TV for a little while, but the rest of the day, I don't want it on. It's going to be in my way. Mm. And at nighttime, I might watch an hour or two of it. After I didn't did all I have to do or whatever, I might lay back and relax and watch a little TV go to bed. Mm. But, it, but if I was to say I'm getting rid of TV, I don't want to watch TV, I'm bringing people along to something. I'm trying to bring them into my reality. See, that's why when fasting and prayer, people at church, I say, well, hold on. That was in the Bible about Nineveh, about the animals and everything, fasting. But just because the church, you say you go fast at church or something. Those kids, they don't know nothing about that. They're hungry. You might could go a day without eating. But children can seldom go a couple of hours without having a snack or something to eat or whatever. Just because you preach or somebody say the church is fasting, that don't mean the kids and things. What do you know about you fasting or whatever? So we have to understand the context. We have to understand the specifics. So prayer is a key thing that God give us. It's a useful, not a weapon, but it's a useful communication with God, but it's dangerous. And that's why they say be careful of what you ask for. Be careful of what you ask for. Those who hate us spitefully use us as certainly not fellow church members or unconverted or converted believers, yet our Savior tell us to pray for them. There is perhaps no clearer passage than this in the, on this topic than in fact how many uh, of those whom Jesus prayed for and healed were in the church or had God's spirit. Maybe probably none of them. He hadn't even formed the church at that time. He went about healing all manner of sickness. But he did say that a greater condemnation was going to fall on all of those because none of them repented at the preaching of Jonah. And that Sodom and Gomorrah would receive better judgment than them because now I've preached the gospel. You receive these signs under oath, under vow. So when he's preaches of a destruction of the world or whatever, and he tells us to come out so we won't be partakers of the plague, we better listen at those warnings. Later, while hanging on the cross, Jesus practiced perfectly what he preaches. Once more, praying for the people of the world. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Now, is it the world that he was praying for is it the unconverted world or was it the church? Because it was the Jews. Pilate made it clear. It's your own people that rejected you that asked you for asked for your death. So is it the church that he says, forgive them for they know not what they do? But we see we forgive people that don't understand. Maybe they'll come to understanding. But we don't, he don't say, well, you will get it when I come down off this cross. When I'm resurrected in judgment, I'll get even with you or whatever. It's as the ones that stone Stephen. They're doing it in ignorance. He says, Lord, have mercy. Forgive them. So he's clearing his conscience. He's remitted. So just because you clear your conscience or remit something, if you kill somebody's child or kill somebody's or something happens, 
Everybody else may forgive you, but that mother may not forgive you or that father may not forgive you. The brothers and sisters may forgive you, but the person that kills you may be somebody else that don't forgive you for that. There's a lot of people that are not so forgiving as others. That's why Jesus never did tell who it was that was going to betray him because those apostles would have tore him up. So he never did say it was Judas. That was a pretty rowdy bunch he had. That Peter was the one that took the ear off Malcolm as his servant. Uh, the Bible passage most often support the notion of not praying for the world of these that Jeremiah 11 and 14. He says, therefore, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry, a prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. Uh, I read Jeremiah 14, 11 through 12. Uh, Jeremiah 15 and 1, Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go. Uh, Okay, so God hears our prayers, but when he changes... What he says he will do it is because he wills to change it. And I went over this. I got this cut and paste there twice. But we have prayers for deliverance. Uh, Paul's instructs us, Paul instructs us not only not to neglect prayer, but also to keep it at its earnest place. And so it's hard for the pray for a prayer for deliverance in fervency and earnestness if you're not walking in the way. Psalms 25, 17, 22 says, The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses, Lord. Psalm 39 and 10 says, Remove thine stroke away from me. I'm consumed by the blows of thine hand. Isaiah 64, 9 through 12, Jeremiah 17 and 14 says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. So Paul advises us to watch for opportunities to pray for others and for situations, especially those in the church that require prayer. This important work belongs to us individually and corporately. For a church not to be in corporate prayer is a pretty bad thing, and I'm glad even on the days that I can't make it that I know you'll be here, that you very seldom miss corporate prayers. When Sister Harris was in pretty good form of shape, she was one that I always knew was a person that says, well, Pastor, I've been praying this morning. I got around early this morning because I knew something was going to happen. Prayer sets people apart. Prayer sets things apart. What happened with Spurgeon and his church set it apart from others, and it was his prayer warriors. Some of the requisites for prayer, prayer requires sincerity. Sincerity. Prayer requires requires repentance and contrition. In other words, acknowledging your sin and your transgressions in a contrite and broken heart before God. And there's a purpose of wide change, a purpose of the amendment in which you're coming to God. And he says in prayer and supplication, let your request be known unto God. You're looking for deliverance and you're looking for solace in the Lord. But you must have a good life attached to that. You must live the life. And as I sometime, sometime I feel bad or whatever. My wife's been behind me this whole time. And a lot of times I know she's in pain and not feeling well or whatever. I said, well, you going to prayer service? Are you going to Bible study? Are you going to church today? And this whole time, you know. So I know there's good lives and we must live a good life without a life to back up. You have to get up off your knees and live what you're praying for and who you're praying to. And God sees the life we live. That's the reason a lot of prayers aren't answered because they're not from, from a heart of sincerity. They're from a hypocritical life. And these people were hypocritical people. I read the conditions to start with. The things that they were still doing and yet coming to pray for God. He says, and your hands are full of blood. You have evil devices and purposes and schemes and things going on. You have to have a spirit of consecration. In other words, 
dedicated to religious reform, dedicated to a regeneration in God, consecrated unto him, and the Sabbath helps sanctifies for that purpose. That's why I say that's one of the sanctifying effects of the seal of the Sabbath. As you can keep that day, that time to the Lord, it puts you in closer balance and consecration unto God. It requires faith. And I didn't get a chance to go to faith and pardon from deliverance from sin uh, and a submission to God's will. Above all, a submission to the will of God. So as we learn about prayer and who to pray for and what not to pray for, we go further in and ask God to be with us, 